1: This week's episode of 4 Real is sponsored by Book Riot's Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder Initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash read harder journal to buy one today a bi-weekly
0: nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is or try to we'll cover new releases backlist finds and more for real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me alice burton and fellow writer kim euchara we're recording on saturday january 19th hello kim hello alice how are you today Um, I am swell slash blanketed in snow here in Chicago. Um, if there is, if you hear like sort of the faint murmur of a motor going, it's someone's blowing snow outside. Um, (laughs) I apologize for that in advance. I'm trying to cover it up as best I can. Uh, how
1: about you? How much snow did you guys get?
0: Um, um, they were saying five to nine inches. I kind of looked outside and it's that amount where you're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of snow. So uh, I have no idea about actual, <laughs> actual amount. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. But how about Minnesota? Winter.
1: Minnesota, we actually like, Southern Minnesota, I think got the storm that hit you guys, but it didn't make its way north enough to hit the Twin Cities. So we got like a dusting last night, but it's really nothing to write home about. So we are, we are cold and it's very cold here, but it is not very snowy. So that's nice.
0: Well, that's swell. So we've got a lot of follow-up. From mm-hmm, last episode, yep. one of which, like, I need to do some serious walking back of one of the books. We <laughs> about. Although I would say that I don't think I fully recommended this book, especially after your wonderful sort of caveats for it. But mm-hmm. um, I wanted to sort of completely say, don't buy this book. Um, so yeah. it is Girl Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, um, which I then sort of delved more into and was uh, completely aghast at some of the things that I read mm. um I will say that uh, I talked to a friend who does very sincerely like it while accepting like the criticisms for it and um her sister attends um the rise convention or whatever that Rachel Hollis's company puts on and mm-hmm. she was saying that she likes it because it provides a space for women to come together and she tries to be somewhat uh for lack of a better term, ecumenical. And, uh, just sort of like, not so she, it is, her book is published by a Christian press, but she's trying to like bring together all, all sorts of women, um, Mm -hmm. which is great. However, her book has many sort of harmful slash blinded statements, uh, that I found very troubling her relationship with her husband, which started out as very sort of emotionally abusive. And then she kind of is like, and now it's great. Um, that really bothered me she has this whole thing about where she makes fun of the fact that she has any kind of connections. Like she's like, Oh, because I, you know, had this huge like media empire and all this. And she's like, Oh no, that's Kim Kardashian. And I was like, (laughs) you are married to the former head of distribution for Disney. Like, don't tell me that you don't have connections. And they started dating when she was 19. So, which is Mm -hmm. another thing that I had a little bit of an issue with, but you know, again, live your life. Um, there was uh, a friend of ours, Jesse, sent uh, on Twitter sent both of us an article from BuzzFeed called mm-hmm. uh, "Girl Wash Your Face" is a massive bestseller with a dark message that I thought did a great job of getting pretty deep into some of the problems. What What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I um, I, the part about her being married to the former head of distribution of Disney, I didn't know that when I read it, but that really like. That's a piece of information that, if it's not really explicit in the book, ought to be because it is a, a um, part of the reason that she is able to do the things that she has been able to do is that she ha- didn't have as much risk in starting to do them, right? Like she had this stable base, this wealthy, wealthy-ish, I assume, husband or, or support system to make those leaps and take those risks in building her business. And like many people don't have that. And that's a piece of privilege that like is important to be baked into what she's talking about. Um, another thing someone recommended, I don't remember if it was Jessie or if it was someone else was, um, the buy the book podcast, which is uh, another podcast where two women, um, uh, live by the rules of self help books for a period of time, and then they kind of assess how they worked and how they did. And so they did a couple of weeks of um, about girl wash your face, um, and I think both of the I listened to both of those episodes this week, and they were super interesting um, because they they got at a lot of the stuff that about the book that I think is kind of helpful and some of the advice she has about what to do. But then also, um, you know, the idea that like the book is structured in a way of like combating the lies that you tell yourself. So it's the, the advice is kind of negative. It's like, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. um, Which um, one of their listeners commented, like that's part of kind of the, I think what they said is sort of like an evangelical mindset of like, you're kind of, the things not to do rather than sort of like uplifting and positive. So, um, and then they talked a little bit about, I think, some of the racial issues in the book and some of her um, advice about, um, one of her pieces of of advice or lies you should not do is about meeting people who are different than you. Um, and in the book that comes off various, like, you should meet people from different cultures, which is a very, like, liberal white lady kind of approach to doing that and it's more about what people of different cultures can help you figure out rather than like building genuine relationships is kind of how it comes off whether that's her intention or not is not really clear but um the by the book podcast episodes are both really good both in like what the two hosts um learned by kind of taking her advice from the book and then other people's responses to it so i'm in addition to the buzzfeed article i think those are really interesting also but yeah it's a, a massive bestseller but i feel like pretty problematic in some significant ways too.
0: And in other uh, sort of nonfiction news, uh, we have some stuff about mm. Marie Kondo, which uh, you have more info on this. Yes. So I want you to take the lead on that.
1: Yeah. So um, in writing the the four Book Riot's 4 Reel nonfiction newsletter, um, I've been paying more attention to like news around nonfiction lately. And it's been super interesting watching the discussion around Netflix's new show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, which is Marie Kondo is the author of... Um, Oh, my God. I can't even remember the title of the book now. Um, But it's a a book about tidying up and how you should go through, like, different areas of your house and try to sort through your possessions and only keep things that spark joy for you. Um, And so in the Netflix show, she um, goes to people's homes and helps them go through this tidying up process. Um, And so there's been a lot of, I think, in the bookish world... um, criticism or backlash or whatever about the idea of how she talks about books and and her her stance about books is, is about like only keeping books that really spark joy and that most unread books in your house, like the time to read them is when they come in, not allowing them to kind of amass and accumulate because they can kind of become oppressive and not spark joy for you. Um, and there's been a lot of backlash from people being like Marie Kondo, keep your hands away from my books. Um, but then there's also been some backlash to that backlash, talking about some of people's responses and unwillingness to uh, kind of engage with the um, kind of spiritual um underpinnings to some of her methods are kind of a little racist um and so that's been kind of interesting to watch so i finally watched the show um earlier this week a couple of nights um and it's actually like very charming and nice like she is so genuinely sweet and excited about helping people and um the people that she's working with like really like do seem to be in situations where like their stuff is really making their lives worse not better um and so it's really just nice to watch and so the the tidying method that she teaches them. Actually, it's not like a thing you do in a weekend. It takes them weeks and weeks and weeks to do it. And she pops back to visit them periodically, um, as they're going through it to kind of walk them through different parts of the process. Um, and I, I just found it very charming. It like kind of scratched the same itch as like the Great British Baking Show does for me. And that it's like a bunch of nice people figuring out Things about nice stuff. And I, so I really enjoyed it. I've, I've enjoyed watching it. I'm excited to finish up the series. So um, if you haven't watched it and have just been sort of watching people talk about it, I think it's worth just watching a couple of episodes to see. Um, the couple in the first episode is kind of difficult to watch. I like, was going to ask about they, that. Their dynamic at the beginning.
0: Okay, no, I started the first one. They're so awkward.
1: Yeah, their dynamic is really uncomfortable. Initially, like the husband is very... I don't know. It's hard to describe, but they're the first episode I found a little uncomfortable until they like get to the end and they're like being nicer to each other. But once you get past that one, the second one is actually much kinder. I think, um, it's much more, it's a, um, a couple that has, I I think the second episode is this couple that moved into their parents' home and they're older now and they lived at, like they had three kids and they just, they just have massive amounts of stuff. And it's, it's that one was interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So, um, if you are interested in that, uh, the title of the book is "Come to Me Now." It's the life changing magic of tidying up by Marie oh, Kondo. Yeah. And if you're interested in the Netflix series Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, is very charming. And I thought I wanted to talk about that since uh, it's kind of nonfiction in the news right now. Do so. You think- I think that was all the follow-up we have. Yeah, yes? I, well,
0: or I you have, have a question. real quick follow-up to the follow-up about uh, the tidying up thing. Oh, yeah. So do you think that it's good to start with episode two? Because I started episode one and I haven't been been able to finish it because that dynamic between the husband and wife is so awkward and just like uncomfortable to sit with.
1: Yeah, I think if it's making you uncomfortable, then like definitely just jump into the second one. Um, I think the if I'm remembering the order of the episodes right, the second one is a little bit like of course, these people need to like declutter and tidy their home because they have so much stuff. Um, and it doesn't, like, it's easy to watch it and feel a little bit superior being like, I don't have that much stuff, <laughs> whatever you guys. Um, <laughs> and so like, there's ones later where it's people who are like generally like clean and tidy, like clean homes, but then they have like a closets where stuff is just shoved in them. And I was like, that seems more like Maybe the average person's level of like clutter needs. So, um, the all the episodes are really different too. And like the stuff people are, are kind of working through with their things are, are different. So, but yeah, the if you find the dynamic of the first couple uncomfortable, just skip it and move on to the second one. Because after that, the people are all really quite excellent. That's good to know. I also
0: really, when I first got the life-changing magic of tidying up, um, I thought that her method with books was really helpful because she says, right, to like take them Mm -hmm. off the shelf and you're not allowed to open them and start reading. And it's just like, which of these do you want to keep? Which I think is great because it's honestly like, which of these do you realistically see yourself picking up and reading in the future? And it helped me get rid mm-hmm. of, like, a fair number of books, which was great.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to, like, look at your stuff and say, like, at a time this was important to me. Is this still important to me now? And, like, we all change and grow. And so a book you bought five years ago that seemed like it would good, be good and important then, like, may actually not be anymore. And that's that's fair. And it's okay to, like, let that go. Like, there's enough books and enough things to read that – you don't need to just hold on to stuff because you feel like you need to. So, also the library, um, yeah. It's also the library. Yeah, libraries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, with that follow up, we're going to just dive into the episode and see where it takes us. So, our first um, segment every week is new books, where we talk about books that are out now, out recently that we are have read or are excited about or looking forward to. Um, so, I'm going to go first, and the first one is a book that I have almost finished reading, and I have. It's it's super interesting, and it's called "Duped: Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married" by Abby Elan. And so this book starts out; it's part memoir, part like research investigation. Um, And so Abby Elan meets a man who she in the book calls the Commander, and she has this whirlwind romance with him. And so six months after they met, and despite a bunch of red flags, like he had all this like mysterious travel that he attributed to his work in the military, Um, he had like, these really bizarre stories about international espionage. He told her one story about, like, how he was, like, a doc. He was a doctor, and he told her he was at Guantanamo Bay, like, treating a high-level terrorist suspect. Um, and just, like, all these really bizarre stories. And then also, like clearly keeping secrets from his family about her. Um, but despite these red flags, six months after they met, the two of them decided they were become engaged. Um, but as their relationship like kind of progressed after that, it became really apparent that he was a liar and none of the stuff that he had told her was true. Um, and so she eventually like breaks it off with him because like he's a liar and, um, A a while after they broke up, he actually, like, was arrested and jailed for, I think, prescription drug fraud and, like, some other really sketchy kind of stuff. So, it turned out, like, she had fallen in love and gotten engaged with this, like, perpetual lying con man. Um, And so, she tries to make sense of this experience through the book and through, like, her research. So, she starts doing – looking into – all of that stuff. So she discovers that habitual liars and uh, con men are more common than we realize, that there's kind of an art and science to being a good liar, um, and that we all could kind of stand to learn more about deception and kind of the lies we tell each other and the lies we tell ourselves and what lies are harmless and which kind of ones lead into fraud and and treating people badly. Um, and so I'm almost done with this one. And it is, um, in parts. it's a little repetitive, I would say, and like the... the overarching like trajectory of it is not quite as clear as I wish it was but the stories that she's telling about con men and people she's interviewed like people who have been duped by other people and people who have like perpetuated these like double lives and secret identities are so interesting to me that I'm sort of willing to forgive some of the other like structural kind of questions I have um There's one where she talks about her doorman at her apartment. His name was Jose, who turns out, like, has a secret past life in a South American country. And he escaped and came to the United States and um, just, like— A person that she sort of saw every day who then turns out to be like completely different than who she thought. Um, She has a long kind of periodic story about this guy named Paul Young, who was an environmental activist who lived kind of secretly for, I think, eight to 10 years while he was trying to avoid being arrested and then eventually was caught and um, just those stories are super fascinating, and I think it's kind of an interesting peek at what science tells us about lying and deception. So um, I'm enjoying it. I'm hoping to finish it up later today. And that is Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married by Abby Elan.
0: How much of uh, the book is her sort of relationship with this guy who turned out to be a con man?
1: So the first chapter is kind of the basics of the story. And then um, each chapter after that, like, She shares a little bit more about her story and, like, things she found out later and investigations that she had done or, like, information that she had tried to get after that. So she – her story kind of anchors each chapter, and then it goes off in different directions talking about the other stuff that is connected to that. Okay,
0: so she kind of, like, interweaves it throughout?
1: Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that sounds
0: good. Um, fantastic. My cool. first new pick is A Thousand Sisters, The Heroic Airwomen of the Soviet Union in World War II by Elizabeth Ween. It's out January 22nd from Balzer and Bray. Uh, Elizabeth Ween wrote Codename Verity, which is, I don't like YA and mm. oh, like as a rule, but I loved Codename Verity. Like if you talk to almost anyone who read it, they will just respond like with tears. I think I just retweeted something about this. Um, It's so good. (laughs) Anyway, so Elizabeth Wien is very into, like, World War II and, like, women in the Air Force in particular. And uh, Conan Verity, I think, focuses on the British. But um, this is obviously – so in the Soviet Union, in the early years of World War II, Stalin issued this order that made the Soviet Union the first country in the world to allow female pilots to fly in combat, which is, like – probably one of the only cool things that stalin did because boo stalin but um led by (laughs) marina roscova these three regiments including the 588th night bomber regiment which has the immensely cool nickname of the night witches like, this is how I think most people get interested in this whole story, is that they're like, night witches, what's going on? Um, <laughs> anyway, but these women, they faced obviously, you know, intense pressure and obstacles, both in the sky and on the ground. Um, a lot of them died, but some of them, uh, oh, and some of them were in their uh, teens when this was all happening. So they were like, you know, flying in these like military procedures, and like, like getting into battles in the air. And they're like, you know, 17 or something, which is crazy. Um, So this is the story of Raskova's three regiments, women who enlisted and were deployed on the front lines of battle as navigators, pilots, and mechanics. And it is the story of a thousand young women who wanted to take flight to defend their country and the women who brought them together in the sky. So, which is why it is called A Thousand Sisters, the heroic airwomen of the Soviet Union in World War II by Elizabeth Wien. It is YA, by the way, again, but like YA nonfiction, super readable and really interesting.
1: That sounds so good. I love that we're in this renaissance of like stories about women doing stuff we didn't know women did before and like everywhere all the time. It's so good. Um, It sounds Awesome. Uh, So my second book is one that I actually have not really gotten to read at all, but I'm very interested in it. Um, And it's called It Was All a Dream, A New Generation Confronts the Broken Promise to Black America by Maniqua Allen. Uh, And this is a collection of, um, I think, like essays and stories looking at um, Black millennials and how they are searching for a better future in spite of racist policies that have closed off traditional versions of success. Um, And part of the reason I got curious about it is because um, BuzzFeed ran a really interesting adaptation from the book called I'm Doing." great a black millennial on his $100,000 student debt. Um, And it had some statistics in it that I just, I was astonished by. Um, One of them was that the median wealth among white house, white high school dropouts is about $51,000, but black families headed by someone with a college degree, their average meet or their median wealth is $25,900. Like that's astonishing. Um, and then the other big part is that tuition and fees at public and private nonprofit colleges has increased 247% since 1975. Um, so the book takes on some of those things and looks at uh, the author's own experiences and those of other young Black Americans across the United States to see how they're like, bucking trends and trying to like, come up with their own and build lives on their terms, despite kind of these structural issues that affect Black millennials in a much different way so yeah, I'm just, I'm I w- I'm really interested in this um, story because there's just a lot of discussion about like what it is like for millennials today, but those are all rooted pretty unintentionally or unintentionally in white experience. And so I'm interested in seeing that from a different perspective and seeing how other structural um, limitations and other structural problems affect people of other races. So uh, the book is called It Was All a Dream, A New Generation Confronts the Broken Promise to Black America by renee Allen.
0: um yeah, that median wealth disparity is insane. Um, I actually would have assumed that tuition went up more than 247% in the last, uh, what is that? Almost. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's like 45 years almost, Kim. That's terrifying. Uh, Meaning that 1975, again, in my (laughs) head is always 20 years ago. Um, Yeah. But, oh gosh. Okay. (laughs) So that sounds really good. Um, I have a, book of another semi-tragedy, meaning semi because it it takes an overall more positive tone than, uh, and that's kind of this whole, uh, the point of the book. Anyway, let me get into what I'm talking about. The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, Native America from 1890 to the Present by David Troyer. It's out January 22nd from Riverhead. Um, It's being spoken of as a counter-narrative of Native American life from the 1890s Wounded Knee Massacre to today. Um, Counter-narrative meaning That uh, books like Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by Dee Brown, which I've definitely mentioned on this podcast before, um, he Mm -hmm. Troyer basically says these say that this was the end of Native American life, right? Like that this was, that was it. And then sort of speaking of Native Americans as this, like essentially like lost people from America. And he says that is absolutely not true. He grew up, um, he is Ojibwe, he grew up on a reservation in Minnesota, he went to Princeton and trained as an anthropologist. Um he covers this book. So the first chapter is like um prehistoric times to you know, like I think 1890. And he's kind of just covering like what was going on in America and then like talks about Columbus and how much he sucked, which, um, I've, the thing is I, I knew, you know, like growing up in the nineties, definitely that was the time where people were really pushing like Columbus was terrible. Um, but I, I knew a couple of specifics, but the stuff he talks about, I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Like it makes me think that, uh, just much more like, I think I was kind of like, yeah, we probably shouldn't, you know, call it Columbus Day. And now I am very like, oh my gosh, can we like never call it Columbus Day again? Like we should not be celebrating this man. But anyway, this is not, oh, this snowblower. Can you hear this snowblower behind me? Let's just break the fourth wall right here. Okay, great. Um, It's no. very loud on my side. So... He talks about um, how the devastating seizures of land gave rise to um, sort of increasingly legal and political maneuvering that put the lie to the myth that Indians don't know or care about property. The forced assimilation of their children at government run boarding schools incubated a unifying Native identity um, and conscription in the U.S. military and the pull of urban life brought Indians into the mainstream and modern times, even as it steered the emerging shape of self-rule and spawned a new generation of resistance. Um, He covers a lot of stuff that I just feel like doesn't get talked about, right? Like a lot of contemporary Native American life is not spoken of in popular culture. So the fact that he has written this book, I think it's a very Mm -hmm. important book to have in the canon, um, especially as a response to all of these, you know, sort of like decades slash more than a century of um, a narrative about Native Americans in America. So again, that is The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, Native America from 1890 to the present by David Troyer.
1: Interesting. I saw that one and like as I was looking up new books for January, and I thought, boy, I hope Alice talks mm-hmm. about that because that sounds right in your wheelhouse. Um, and so then the last book we both quickly just wanted to mention that neither of us, uh, neither of us has gotten to read yet but is definitely one to pay attention to is called Made, Hard Work, Low Pay, and a Mother's Will to Survive by Stephanie Leand. Um And Alice already talked about this one on the podcast uh, last fall, actually, because it was an editor—or maybe I talked about it—because it was an editor's buzz book at Book Expo 2018. Um so the promise of the book is basically that Land, it, at 28 years old, she was planning to try to go to college and become a writer, but that plan was cut off after she unexpectedly was pregnant. Um, and so then she had to turn to being a housekeeper in order to make ends meet while also trying to give her daughter um, the best life possible that she could. So um, she worked as a maid during days cleaning um, homes of kind of upper middle class Americans and then took online classes at night to get her degree. Um, and then at the time, she was also writing about how she was trying to make it as while working a member of the working poor. So through like WIC and food stamps, government housing, and all of those resources that we try to give people who, who need it. Um, and so the book explores the underbelly of upper middle class America and the reality of what it's like to be in service to them. Um, so that one has gotten a lot of buzz, but I haven't gotten a chance to peek at it. So um, I'll try to, I think I, I'll be looking for that because it sounds really interesting. Um So yeah, that is new books for this week. Uh, So now we're going to hop into our weekly theme, um, which is one that uh, we came up with a while back and it seems particularly appropriate to be talking about since we're both in the middle of a cold snap and a winter storm. Um, So we thought it would be fun to talk about books that are set in the Arctic and then follow that up with some books that are set in the tropics. Uh, to see if we can give some like cool weather and warm weather reading recommendations. So uh, hopefully this will be kind of as fun as we (laughs) thought it would be. Although looking at the books we're going to talk about, like there's a bunch of tragedy books in here. So uh, yeah, let's get into that. Um, (laughs) The first book I wanted to talk about for the Arctic is one of my very favorites of all time. Uh, It's Into Thin Air, A Personal Account of the Mount Everest Disaster by John Krakauer. And so this is a book about... um, so in May on May 10th, nineteen ninety six, eight climbers were killed and others were injured when a massive storm hit the peak of Mount Everest, while multiple groups of climbers were all on top of the mountain. Uh, and so John Cracker was crack hour was along on the trip because he was writing a magazine article about the trend of commercial trips up Mount Everest. Um, and so these commercial trips, um, you had like experienced mountain guides, but then the people who paid to go on them, like really may not have had a lot of mountaineering experience. And so this trend was allowing inexperienced climbers to go up the mountain. Um, and so the day that this storm hit, there were a bunch of those commercial guides up there. And so people who were just not prepared for that, um, were caught in this awful storm. Um, and so Krakauer became, went from kind of a being observer to this Everest climb to actually like being endangered and part of this tragedy or part of this really dangerous um, moment. Um, and so the story ends in like a terrible tragedy. Like it's very bad. Um, but the reason I love it, I listened to it on an audiobook a while back, like, and I was driving in my car and I remember just like yelling at my speakers in my car, being like, why are all of you doing this? This is terrible. Like, this is a bad idea. And just being so gripped by the narrative because it is so intense um and so like this one and like basically every story about people like traversing the arctic always just make me think like what are you all doing like this is a terrible idea Um, but this one like kind of takes the cake of all of them i think it's really really well written and incredible piece of reporting and just great so that is uh into thin air a personal account of the mount everest disaster by john krakauer Which is not technically the Arctic, but it is about a cold place. So there we are.
0: I've seen that um, on, like, I don't know, like – used bookstore like shelves, you know, in in abundance because I think it was like a, a mm-hmm. huge seller. And I've always kind of yeah. been like, oh, that looks kind of neat, but like I am going to pick that up. That sounds great. Um, that's real good. Anyway, my uh, my Arctic pick uh, number one is *Endurance*: Shackleton's Incredible Voyage by Alfred Lansing, uh, first published in 1959. Ernest Shackleton is my father's favorite Arctic explorer, um, so I felt like I needed to mention him in this. Uh, so in 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a crew of 27 men sailed for the the south atlantic on the endurance hence the title of the book with the object of crossing the antarctic over land uh i agree with you kim this is i don't understand humans sometimes Uh, (laughs) in october 1915 they're still like half a continent away from their base and the ship was trapped and then crushed in ice meaning of course it's surrounded by ice and it can't move um so for five months shackleton and his men drifting on ice packs were castaways in the uh, Antarctic, which is just uh, that sounds horrifying. So this is based on firsthand accounts of crew members. It describes how the men survived because all of them survived. Which also, like, I was just reading um, Melville's in not Melville's. Oh boy, in *The Heart of the Sea* by Nathaniel Philbrick, which is you know what Melville based mm-hmm. *Moby Dick* on, and he talks about how Shackleton's feat was like the most amazing thing ever, and how like no one could believe it, and why the leaders in, for the ships and in *The Heart of the Sea* were not nearly as good. As Shackleton. (laughs) um, But during this, they lived together uh, in camps on the ice for 17 months. They're attacked by sea leopards, which are, you know, cute but deadly, Um, and uh, had to kill their beloved dogs because they couldn't feed them anymore. So Shackleton, uh, leads this crew of five aboard the James Caird through the Drake passage because they are finally, you know, like on, they find a ship and they reach this, uh, Island, but you know, I'm not going to tell you, but you need to go <laughs> read it. And then, uh, I don't know, message us on Twitter about how amazed you are by how brave and courageous all of these men are. Um, again, that is endurance Shackleton's incredible voyage by Alfred Lansing.
1: Excellent. Excellent pick. Um, so my second one is it's called Frozen in Time, an Epic Story of Survival and a Modern Quest for Lost Heroes of World War II by Mitchell Zuckoff. And um, this is a rare like World War II book that I very much enjoyed because uh, it's not really about World War II. It's about other stuff. So... The um, premise of the book is that in 1942, a Sky Trooper plane carrying five American airmen took off from Iceland, and they were trying to go back to their base on Greenland. But midway through the trip, the plane crash-landed on an ice cap, um, and so no one was killed, but they needed to be rescued. Um, and so the military sent search-and-rescue planes out looking for them, but they— just seemed to have disappeared. Uh, so four days later, a uh, B-17 bomber searching for the men uh, was caught in a storm. And so despite the pilot's best efforts, the B-17 hit a glacier and crash landed. Um, the night and airmen and volunteers survived the crash, but they also like were lost. And so there needed to be another search and rescue mission through the landscape of Greenland. So um, When the B-17 was located, two members of the U.S. Coast Guard attempted a daring rescue mission using a duck amphibious plane to bring them back. But also the duck plane disappeared in the storm and 70 years later, like, had still not been found. Um, So this is, like, a series of mishaps and—mishaps is not even the right word—like, a series of terrible— plane crashes in uh, a very cold place and uh the story of trying to fix them so um or find them excuse me i'm just having all sorts of problems today my goodness um so stories about these missing men how they survived and then also this present day mission to try and understand the u.s coast guard ducks last flight um and try to find it and bring them back um and I just thought this was so interesting. It, like, is a, a kind of a new story, but also a story we kind of heard before. Um, there's a ton of really meticulous research um, through both primary and secondary sources, and then um, Michel look just like pulls all of these pieces together and like gives these characters a lot of life. And it's a story full of like these dramatic ups and downs that I thought was really interesting. And he does a good job of even though you you know the outcome of a lot of this story of building some narrative tension through it, um, trying to kind of figure out the mystery of where this. Coast guard plane landed so i thought it was really good like a very readable interesting piece of um kind of disaster nonfiction. and that is frozen in time an epic story of survival and a modern quest for the lost for lost heroes of world war ii by mitchell zuckoff
0: oh my gosh i love all of these like survival in the arctic stories um fantastic which speaking of <laughs> right. my next book <laughs> Sorry. Ah, yeah, here we are. Yeah, exactly. Is Ada Blackjack a true tale of survival in the Arctic by Jennifer Niven? Um, Ada Blackjack is amazing. So in September 1921, four young men and Ada Blackjack, this tiny 25-year-old Eskimo woman, ventured deep into the Arctic in this secret attempt to colonize desolate Wrangel Island for Great Britain. Um, so again, at first I saw the word colonize and I was like, oh no, but then it said desolate. So that seems fine. Uh, two years later, Ada Blackjack emerged as the sole survivor of this polar expedition. So this young, uh, this young woman who had headed to the Arctic in search of money and a husband, which is all, you know, most of women has seemed to have needed for most of time. in terms of, uh, survival, uh, conquered the seemingly unconquerable North and survived all alone after her male companions had perished. Um, so basically she came back and then everyone was like, oh my gosh, she's the female Robinson Crusoe. That's so cool. And she was like, I don't want to talk about what happened. So, uh, which is mm. her right. But then people, uh, charges were published accusing her of causing the death of one of her companions. So then she spoke up. Mm. Yeah, I know. Um, again, this it's, it's a really fascinating story. She is a, an incredible woman. So Ada Blackjack, a true tale of survival in the Arctic by Jennifer Niven. Um, I don't, I don't think women need husbands. Man, that uh, is.
1: (laughs) No, true. Boy, that sounds so good too. Oh man. Yeah. I feel like I didn't, maybe I didn't like look very hard outside of like the books I normally read, but I feel like most books about like going to the Arctic are usually about like people going on an insane mission or like an insane goal. And then like having, even if it's not like the Arctic, but like very cold remote places, like having it to um, nature just like stomp you down. Uh, like, I don't think there are any optimistic or cheerful, like stories of exploring the Arctic, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that. And someone can give us some suggestions. Um, but that, yeah, all of those, that sounds really interesting too. Um, so, so then switching gears from books about very cold, terrible places, uh, we wanted to talk about books about tropical places. Um, and so I actually ended up with two kind of bummer books anyway, but that's fine. That's nonfiction sometimes. Um, so the first book I wanted to talk about for the tropic part of our show was Wave by Sonali Daria which I did my best to pronounce, but probably didn't quite quite right. Uh, and so this is a memoir about um, a tragedy in Sri Lanka. So in December of 2004, uh, the author and her family, her husband, her two sons, and her parents uh, were vacationing at a beach resort in Sri Lanka. And they were kind of just sitting around the hotel room looking around after Christmas. And um, she noticed a wave out at their window that was much closer than normal. Um, and as the water kept moving closer, they realized something was terribly wrong. Um, and so she and her husband grabbed their boys and then started to run. And they tried to escape from this uh, tsunami wave that was coming, but uh, they couldn't. And so the Jeep was hit by the wave. Tsunali was separated from her husband and her young sons who were both killed in this tragedy. Um, so this 2004 tsunami in Sri Lanka killed more than twenty eight, two 228,000 people, uh, including her entire immediate family. Um, and so the book is about that experience. And then her her life after like this incredible tragedy. Um, and it is so sad, but it is just, it is beautifully written and so honest and so, um, so open about her experience and like writing about what that is like. Um, I just, it was just beautiful. Um, and I, I picked this one cause I read it a long time ago and I remember just loving it so very much, but also being like so sad and like affected by it. Um, but and it's so it's maybe like a little bit of a stretch for a discussion about the tropics, but it does take place in Sri Lanka. The author is from Sri Lanka and spends time there, like as a child, and then also after her family is killed. So that's how I'm justifying it, including it in this segment, even if it's really more like a memoir about grief and um recovery. But it's really beautiful, and I, I very much recommend it. And that's Wave by Sonali Dariant. Daria Nangala. Oh my
0: gosh, that sounds so good. Have you seen video from the 2004 tsunami? Like before they realized what it was, they had like like tourist video and stuff. It's terrifying. Anyway
1: um no it's, i mean oh, it's on youtube work, yeah. if you want to look at it
0: uh anyway so uh my pick for tropics uh my first book is the Mapmaker's maker's wife a true tale of love murder and survival in the amazon by robert whitaker it's published by basic books uh and i'm going to use their description because it's fascinating so in the early years of the 18th century a band of french scientists set off on a decade-long expedition to south america in a race to measure the precise shape of the earth because we need that information uh, like Lewis and Clark's exploration of the American West, their incredible mission revealed the mysteries of a little known continent to white people, to a world hungry for <laughs> discovery. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, scaling 16,000 foot <laughs> mountains in the Peruvian Andes and braving jaguars, pumas, insects, and vampire bats in the jungle, the French scientists barely completed their mission. One was murdered, another perished from fever, and a third, Jean Godin nearly died of heartbreak because at the end of the expedition, he and his Peruvian wife, Isabel Gramezon, became stranded at opposite ends of the Amazon. So what the book is actually about, which is why it's called The Mapmaker's Wife, is her journey to reunite with Jean after this, like, they are separated for 20 years. And when they finally, like, Come back together. It's like this dramatic story that like 18th century Europe was just like following in great detail. So um the whole book is about, you know, this, the murder, and the survival story. Hence, uh, the title again is The Mat Maker's Wife: A True Tale of Love, Murder, and Survival in the Amazon by Robert Whitaker.
1: That sounds so good. Like as you were talking, I was Googling it to see if I can get it or uh, going to my library catalog to see if I can find it. Because that sounds it's so amazing. Wow cool um. So my next pick also takes place um, in the Amazon. Yeah, in the Amazon. Uh, it's called "The Third Bank of the River: Power and Survival in the Twenty First Century Amazon" by Chris Feliciano Arnold. Um, and so um, Arnold is, he was born in Brazil, but when he was a kid, he was adopted by an American family, so he grew up in the United States. Um, but he's still really like intrigued and interested about his Brazil and his you know heritage and all of that. So um, the book opens during the 2014 World Cup. Um, the author goes to Brazil to cover the event, but he specifically wants to go and cover games and like what the world, the impact of the World Cup in Brazil is having on um, re- more remote areas of the country. So he goes to Manaus, which is an isolated city at the heart of the Amazon jungle and is the capital of that like very landlocked um, Amazon state in Brazil. Um, and so he goes there to just see like, what does it mean to have um, the World Cup, this um, huge international event with tons of money and tourists and, and everything to this pretty remote area and how is it affecting people there? Um, and then Manis is the, sort of the last outpost really before like you get into the very isolated tribes of the Amazon that have never actually interacted with the outside world in a significant way. Um, so the book is a history of the Amazon starting with the arrival of the Spanish and then going kind of all the way through to kind of contemporary efforts to map the forest, to protect isolated tribes, to try to, um, Decide, like, so the, and there's a lot in it about um, whether it's better to connect with these tribes so we can try and help protect them from logging and drug trafficking and all of these other, like, development that's trying to come into the amazon or if it's better to try and leave them alone completely um what it means to like have contact and how that contact affects their cultures um just like super interesting and so a big question of the book is whether it's better to keep these isolated amazonian tribes away from the modern world or make contact in an effort to save them from extinction um and so the first section is kind of what i've gotten through so far um he alternates chapters about kind of being at the world cup and what that has all meant with um a tribe that was kind of having a first contact with the outside world at about that time. Um, and I just think it's it's really interesting. It's kind of a modern look at what the Amazon is like today, but also give some history and context for how people have come to that area and how development has affected the Native tribes that live there. So I'm, I'm interested in finishing it. I'm hoping to get to that. So uh, the book is called The Third Bank of the River, Power and Survival in the 21st Century Amazon by Chris Feliciano Arnold.
0: Uh, that sounds awesome. Excellent pick. Um, my final choice for the tropics is Njinga of Angola, Africa's warrior queen by Linda M. Haywood. It's published by Harvard University Press. My friend who is all up in African history was like, this biography is amazing. Um, so she was a 17th century Angolan queen. And by the way, the country Angola, uh, was named by the Portuguese Angola, but it's because it was one of those classic colonizing things where they were like, <laughs> oh, they're saying this word Angola. So that's probably the country name. But actually, it was the title (laughs) held by kings of Ndongo. So great job, guys. (laughs) But anyway, so she was... uh, First, uh, Njinga was ambassador to the Portuguese, who were, you know, like, uh, the leaders of the slave trade, basically, at the time, um, who were soon hedged out by uh, Americans and the British. So, okay. But... The Portuguese in the 17th century were all over Africa. Um, so after she, after her brother died, she assumed power um, over these two kingdoms. So she fought fearlessly and cleverly for the freedom and stature of her kingdoms against the Portuguese who were colonizing the area at the time. There's this kind of famous story about her where um, she was meeting with like a like one of the Portuguese uh, ambassadors or something, and they put a mat on the floor for her because that's what like, was done for, like, subservient people. And she got Mm -hmm. one of her servants to, like, get into, like, a crouch position, and she just, like, sat on his back. Because (laughs) she was like, I am not sitting on the floor. And it was just, yeah, she was super cool. Anyway, so uh, she repeatedly outmaneuvered her male competitors and she flouted gender norms um today she's revered in angola as a national heroine and honored in folk religions uh she has a sort of complex legacy she was involved in the slave trade um but she's just she's a very fascinating person so again this is uh njinga of angola that's n-j-i-n-g-a uh africa's warrior queen by linda m haywood
1: Interesting. That sounds so good, too. Oh, my gosh. You've really gotten some good picks this week, Alice. Like, those are all so good. Um, Awesome. And so with that, we have... uh ripped through a bunch of books about cold places and warm places. Um uh, I feel like we were talking really fast, but that's all right. Um and so we'll close the show as we usually do with the books that we are reading uh right at this very moment. So I'm actually in the middle of two of the books I talked about in the episode, but the next nonfiction book that I'm probably gonna pick up is one for my book club. And that is called American Prison A Reporter's Undercover Journey into the Business of Punishment by Shane Bauer. Um and this is a book looking at the for profit prison system. And so he um um, I'm not sure because I haven't started it, how exactly he goes undercover, but he um, finds his way into a for profit prison and writes about what that is like. And so um, I think that's super interesting because it's a part of like the criminal justice system that it is maybe not getting talked about as much as other places. And so I'm curious, like, what the. What the, the way prison changes when there's a profit incentive involved with incarceration and not just um, trying to keep uh, people that we consider criminals off the street. So um, I think that sounds really interesting. And I also am interested because um, several years ago, Um, I read a book called New Jack, Guarding Sing Sing by Ted Conover. And this is a book that's, I don't remember what year it is, but it's considered one of, I think, the classics of like narrative nonfiction and like immersive journalism because Ted Conover did basically the same thing where he got, uh, went undercover as a guard at Sing Sing. So he actually got hired to work there and then wrote about what that was all like. And um, it's older, so I think this, and it wasn't... um, I'm pretty sure Sing Sing is not a for-profit prison. So um, it's a different context and different kind of story. But um, it was really good and really interesting, and I enjoyed it when I read it. So I am I think American Prison is going to be an interesting kind of comparison and contrast to that, as it's a more contemporary um, kind of version of what he did for that story, but also like a completely different context of a, for, a for-profit prison rather than um, just a regular prison, I guess. So uh, that book is American Prison – Uh, A Reporter's Undercover Journey into the Business of Punishment by Shane Bauer.
0: Oh, my gosh. Great. Those are great. Um, I keep meaning to read more about our prison system, so that sounds like a good title. Um, I am reading a very on-brand book right now called "Remember the Ladies: Women in America, 1750 to 1815" by Linda Grant. Sorry, Linda Grant Depaul. Um, this is actually a companion piece to a museum exhibit, so it's like 185 ish pages and um, has a lot of photos uh, of sort of like early, um, early American women, and it it covers a lot of topics, which I've been. It's been really good, but. Anyway, so that's what we're reading. Um, you can find us on social media, on Twitter. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork.
1: And if you are so inclined, you can find the podcast and rate a review it on iTunes or the podcast feed of your choice. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. And uh, while you're there, you can also subscribe so that you can get new episodes at the very minute that they come out. Uh, and so with that, I am Kim Ugara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.